You're listening to the Business as Usual podcast, your weekly discussion of all things business, finance, and personal finance. And now, here's your host, Jason Hughes. Hey guys, and welcome to Business as Usual podcast. This is episode eight, and as usual, I'm here with Matt. Matt, how are you going this week? Yeah, good. Welcome back, everyone. Um, things have been pretty, pretty quiet this week. None of the none of the trading for me. Sort of just relaxed and um, went on a bit of a hike this week, which is nice. Oh, cool. The markets are pretty quiet as well. I think. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't much moving, um, especially in sort of my stocks that I'm holding as well. So there was there wasn't too much to look at. Yeah, the I think tech had a bit of a rally um, after the. U.S. Um, Federal Reserve didn't raise rates again, and tech stocks had a little bit of a rally. But other than that, not a whole lot. Happened no, that's in the markets. Pre- yeah, that's pretty much been it. It for this week. Yeah, I think everyone's just waiting for something <clears throat> to come out of China, the China trade talks, and for I don't think anyone really knows what's happening with Brexit at this point. <laughs> <laughs> like, Who knows? Is, is it, is Who it knows how long that's going to take to to play out? Like. <laughs> Is Brexit even a real thing? Is the UK a real thing? I can't even remember no, what Brexit is it anymore. Point. It's been that long ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think, yeah, the markets are just kind of like nobody's making too many big moves. Um, there's some IPO action here in Australia, which is interesting. But yeah, the markets have settled down. So I think that's why a couple of companies are taking this opportunity to go public um, while the markets aren't so volatile. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the indices um, over in the US, there was we did start to get a bit of a um, bit of volatility up there near the top. So it could yeah. possibly be be a bit of a rounding. Who knows? Um, yeah, because yeah, we had that big up day that sort of po- pushed through and then yeah dropped back down again. So yeah. yeah. So I guess we'll see what happens this week. Yeah, we'll see anyway. what see what news sort of drives it. Yeah. So, uh, on this week's episode, we're going to have a talk about antitrust and sort of the, the conversation that's developing in a lot of the, a lot of the public sphere about uh, antitrust and how that needs to be applied to Google and Facebook and Apple and these big tech companies that we've got coming around the place at the moment. Um, so... I think we should having a conversation about it from an investing or like business perspective um, rather than some of the other perspectives like it's a very political topic might be an interesting conversation. So did you want to just sort of give a brief rundown of what antitrust actually is? Yeah, for sure. So basically when we say antitrust, it's kind of referring to what it's called in the US. Um, because it's also known as like a competition law and it's known yeah. as competition laws like in other parts of the world as well. And it's basically yeah. they look to maintain competition in the market um, by sort of regulating that anti-competitive conduct in companies. Yeah. And yeah. And antitrust, the name antitrust comes out of, it's a historical artifact essentially from the eight, late-ish 1800s. When, oh, okay. Um, trusts. So today we have trusts where you have a, a family trust, for example, and 
you put money in trust of a trustee who then manages it for the beneficiaries. Um, back in sort of late 1800s, and I'll get into this in a second, the trust was kind of invented for as kind of a holding company. And so the trust would buy a bunch of companies. And I'll give a couple of examples of these massive trusts that came about. And so the laws were written to be anti-trust um, and break up these trusts, essentially. That's why they're called anti-trust laws. It's oh, just okay. a historical thing. Anyway, so um, in Australia, we've got the Competition and Consumer Act, um, which creates our um, ACCC, or Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. Um, and in Australia, I think we're a little bit different in terms of how our competition law works. Um, I think it's relatively similar to Europe, but essentially the, the way the law works is that um, having a monopoly or having market power isn't illegal. So you can have a monopoly in a business, and there's several examples where there are monopolies in business. Uh, but as long as the company doesn't abuse that power, um, I think in the, in the law it's called misuse of market power, yeah. Um, as long as they're not misusing their market power, it's completely okay to have a monopoly, in under Australian law at least. Um, and the ACCC administers the law. Essentially, they'll they'll watch over companies, make sure they're not abusing their market power. But then, sort of the the big headline uh, area that the ACCC operates under is. Uh, supervising mergers and acquisitions yeah making sure you're not uh, merging two companies like you wouldn't be able to merge say telstra and optus like it's not going to happen Woolworths and coles wouldn't be allowed to merge yeah um whereas interestingly now we've got vodafone and tpg wanting to merge and the ACCC has stepped in there and they've conducted a process and I think that the decision is going to be handed down on the 9th of May, I want to say. Okay. Um, and that's, so that process has taken about eight months since the merger was announced. Um, and it's to try and prevent a misuse of market power happening. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect um, sense. Like you're not, you're not just sort of restricting these companies from getting together just for the sake of having these large corporations, your the whole reason that this ACCC is around is to protect the consumer. Yeah. So, yeah, they're always going to be protecting the consumer. Yeah. And so you can kind of see that in, in a few ways. Um, like, for example, Australia Post is essentially a monopoly in a few different areas. But it's a monopoly that's allowed because it's regulated, they're not allowed to misuse their market power. And it's also, it's allowed because having several postal services would be inefficient and that would damage the consumer, essentially. Yeah. So it's, it's done in a way that's not just saying we have to have three big players in a market, otherwise, like, because 
if you think about it, the law can't operate that way. Like if there's only one person wanting to enter a market, then like what are you going to do? Like force some other people to make a business <laughs> into the market? Like it can't actually operate that way. It's got to operate with a consumer-focused uh, viewpoint. Um, but it's become very... It's, it's a big topic of discussion at the moment. Um, and several of like... We're starting to see the... 2020 US presidential candidates coming out and there's a couple of them I think Elizabeth Warren specifically is quite um, quite vocal about wanting to break up companies like Facebook and Google and Apple yeah well you did just have you know Apple hitting the headlines for you know getting their market market cap past a trillion dollars so yeah and so you've got these giant giant companies and we'll get into talking about, um, get into that conversation a little bit in a, uh, in a second. But I just want to go over some of the history of how antitrust, specifically in the US, because it's going to be related to our conversation because these are US companies, um, just how it sort of came about. And I think there's kind of two people we have to focus on. Um, one is Andrew Carnegie and the other one is John D. Rockefeller. And they're kind of, Rockefellers are more more household name these days than Carnegie. But at one point, Carnegie was the richest man in the world. Just like absolutely the richest man <laughs> in the world. Um, and he was born in Scotland uh, in a little little country town. And wasn't his family wasn't wealthy at all. His father was a, a weaver. And so he worked on one of those looms and weaved stuff. And it's right at the at the cusp of the industrial revolution. And so you have uh, mechanical looms coming about that, that are powered. And so his father's skill in operating the loom became kind of moot. And so he lost his, lost his job, had to sell the looms that he owned. And um, there was just no job prospects for him in Scotland anymore. So they moved over to Pennsylvania, um, specifically to um, Pittsburgh which was quite an early industrial town in the US. Um, th- this area of US history is fascinating to me, um, the way you have these cities and where they're situated and why they were situated there. Mm. But Pittsburgh is kind of, it's, it's this town that really was built off the steel industry. And Carnegie, uh, Andrew Carnegie had to go and, and start working essentially as soon as they arrived in Pittsburgh because um, he had to help support his family. And so he started working for the Ohio Telegraph Company in the Pittsburgh office and he was an assistant and whatnot, but pretty quickly they realized that he could uh, decode the messages coming over the telegraph. And the telegraph is like um, essentially you would communicate through some version of Morse code. So he, was, he would be able to listen to the messages coming in and decode them and just like speak what the message was rather than having to wait for someone to write it down for him. So he was very good at communicating via the, uh, the telegraph. And so a guy called Thomas Scott uh, re- noticed that he was very good at it and hired him at the Pennsylvania Railroad Company. And he became a telegraph operator there. 
because Thomas Scott basically realized that the telegraph would use of the telegraph in railroad would increase their efficiency because you remember in the US it's a massive massive country and you're laying hundreds of miles of track for these railroads and that track you you're basically only going to have enough literally steel and railway sleepers and whatnot to lay a single track and say that's going east-west and you've got trains that want to go east and you've got trains that want to go west and they can't obviously pass each other on the track so you it's very difficult to coordinate where the trains are going and so they built telegraph poles along the track and Carnegie was kind of crucial in coordinating the trains from that he starts to know who the big players are in the railroad industry and he knows how the railroad industry works very very well and after the civil war he takes some time off and he goes to Europe and he um, looks for new <coughs> steel processes essentially ways to make steel harder and more efficiently because the railway system in the US had started to break down um, because it was designed to be used for a certain amount of time and then they would replace the track and whatnot. But that's all those calculations are without taking into effect the Civil War, which made the, um, the track and the bridges and everything have to be used so much more than they were designed for. So the, the railroad companies were in this difficult position where they, they needed heaps and heaps and heaps of steel, but they didn't have the money to pay for all the steel and so they'd have to buy cheaper steel essentially and replace the their broken bits of track but then because they're buying cheap steel those bits of track are breaking again super quickly and then they have to replace it again so Carnegie sees a business opportunity and he goes and finds all these steel processes and he start he enters the steel industry um, and starts making steel to sell to the railroad companies now, the interesting thing about this is he actually owned large parts of a lot of railroad and bridge building companies. Um, so he was making steel and then selling it to himself, essentially. So he could undercut price of every other steel maker because his lost profit is not really lost profit to him. Like he, he's getting, getting the money. Because he's anyway. getting it in another company, yeah. Yeah. Like by selling... By selling really cheap steel to his own company, he's able to then build that company into this, into the railroad company, and that's the only successful one and whatnot. Um, and by 1901, so what, like a, a couple of decades later, he's literally operating one of the biggest steel operations in the world. Like they are, they're producing more steel than the entire United Kingdom. Um, and they have their own police force, and literally, like, there were, as is common during the era, there were strikes that would happen, where the workers would go on strike, and they would literally have, like, full-blown battles to, to sort Jesus. out these situations. Like, literally, <laughs> I think it's called, um, there's a song written about it that's, like, it's quite a, it's kind of like a nursery rhyme um, sort of tune, and it's, you, you'll, you'll have heard it, it's called The Fort That Frick Built. 
um, Henry Frick was one of Carnegie's business associates and they literally built this this steel uh, plant that was built like a fort to stop any striking happening. (laughs) Um, And it it was ridiculous. Anyway, so in 1901, a guy um, called J.P. Morgan, uh, you might recognize the name, um, he sees Carnegie Steel and there's a couple of other steel companies around and he sees a lot of inefficiencies in the steel industry because you've got all these big steel players. Um, And so he goes and buys them out and creates a trust to amalgamate the, the three companies, or three-ish big companies, and then there's some smaller companies. And he creates United States Steel, which is literally then, it's the most powerful steel operation in, in the entire world. I just, it, it was massive. And they would go and buy literally just railroad companies and shipping companies, and they would, so they're providing the steel to build these ships and they owned the, like some of the biggest fleets of ships in some areas of the world. Um, they were so big that they only produced 8% more steel in 2002 than they did in 1902, which, which is insane. Um, but kind of the, the way the, the anti-monopoly laws work or the antitrust laws work is they weren't directly hurting everyday consumers because everyday consumers don't buy steel so they were allowed to survive um, and anyway so standard oil was john d rockefeller's company very famously um, and they were basically um, on the same level as u.s steel were in 1890 they were producing 88 percent of all the oil consumption in the united states and oil consumption is obviously very important. Um, back then, more important, I would argue, than it is now for the consumer. Because most of that oil that they were producing was kerosene, which is what people would use to light their houses using their little kerosene lamps and things. So they had to buy kerosene. And so th- the power that, you, that standard oil had wasn't appropriate according to the government, because they were able to manipulate prices um, of the kerosene, etc. Yeah, and, and, now you, and now you're affecting consumers. Yeah, now you're affecting moms and dads. Moms and dads don't, don't need to buy raw steel. Moms and dads aren't building boats and railways and rail cars and whatnot, but they are buying kerosene to put in their kerosene lamps. Um, so having a power like that isn't appropriate and so in 1911 standard oil was um, broken up by the government and it was split into 34 different companies Um, and some of those companies are still around today like exxon mobil and chevron still some of the biggest oil producers in the world Um, and they are spin-offs of uh, standard oil and we can kind of see the difference between the two there in that Um, U.S. Steel still around today because they're not selling to the end consumer, whereas Standard Oil was selling to the end consumer, and they would be selling to the end consumer still today, um, like selling petrol and whatnot. And so they weren't allowed to continue existing with the power that they had, which is quite interesting. And 
So we're kind of seeing today uh, a similar situation popping up with Facebook and Apple. And that they're starting to really encroach on end users' lives and that conversation has popped up a lot more over the last two or three years. So do you want to start off with maybe Facebook? It's probably the easiest one to talk about. Yeah. You want to just give your perspective? Yeah, for sure. Like it's it's pretty much exactly the same as um, the two sort of cases we're talking about here. Like with Carnegie Steel, it is a massive company and they do pretty much run the web. Like the f- social media, it's it's Facebook that runs it. Um, yeah. But you've got to look at are they you know, starting to affect the daily life of the user itself. Yeah. And I mean, this, it's, it's been very well documented, like Facebook's um, violations in terms of privacy and whatnot and selling, selling data. So I guess a lot of that stuff now is sort of coming to fruition and sort of people are looking at, well, are they starting to abuse their power now? Because yeah. they, have, they have all this data at their disposal and you know they're they're using it to, um, obviously to uh, make profits from advertising. Yeah. And is it now? Is that advertising and what they're doing, slowing that data, um, affecting the consumer itself? Yeah. And I guess the the difficult part about, or the worrying part about Facebook is. They went and bought Instagram and WhatsApp. Yeah. So there's no possibility of competition in the social networking space anymore. Yeah. And like, there's just you ca- you cannot you, because of the the nature of what a social network is and how a social network becomes successful. Now it needs to be a network and there needs to be a lot of people using it. You just you can't compete with Facebook anymore. Yeah. And there is that. There is that other aspect to the the laws as well like it's it it doesn't just have to like hurt the consumer you have to be also able to enter the space and be able to compete with that that company and like you're saying like it's not like i have no idea how someone would go into facebook sorry go into social media form a company when people are already established in uh instagram like i can't see people leaving instagram anytime soon no and like they're not going to leave Instagram because Instagram works so well. It is the the place you do things. I mean, like just look at Snapchat. Snapchat's basically irrelevant now. I mean, I, I think like younger younger people still use Snapchat. Yeah. But Snapchat came along. They had some cool ideas. The disappearing uh, like video messages and stories specifically, and Facebook and uh or instagram first and then facebook just went and copied stories and i'm sure snapchat was trying to fight that legally and so facebook just kind of well what are you going to do about it yeah they got so much money like it's impossible to to fight that especially if you're a smaller person too like if you're an entrepreneur and you've sort of started started a social media company right and you have got something that Facebook or Instagram doesn't have now. Well, they're probably just going to buy it off you. Like yeah, either that, if or they're they, just going to copy it, or they'll just copy it exactly. Like if they offer you, if you're a you know 
a struggling entrepreneur and you've been working in this company for five years and they offer you, I don't know, $50 million, which isn't that much to them. It's, it's, you would take it. Um, and, and you'd be done with it and you'd move on to the next thing. So yeah, it's, it's very hard to compete in that space. Yeah. It's impossible. Like I, I honestly, like there's because of the legal system and like, yes, maybe they, they go and copy your idea and you say, hang on, like this is patented, like whatever. But by the time this goes through the legal system and goes through the courts and judge makes decision and you go through all the appeals and even if it comes out of your comes out in your favor, well, they've <clears throat> used your feature now and you're you're done. Like your company can't operate without users and if your feature is on another platform and that other platform is facebook or instagram like what chance do you have yeah so so even by the time you get the payout from facebook and like they pay a fine or whatever the penalty is for stealing your idea like your company's under yeah have they have they sort of talked about how they actually they would plan on breaking up facebook would they break it um, up into separate companies like Facebook, Instagram, and I think that would be kind of like demergers. Yeah, I think that would be the easiest way to do it. I think then you're creating um, competition again because, like, I know people who don't use Facebook or don't use Instagram. I think a lot of people are getting off Facebook now. Um, so you're creating competition again, and Facebook then has to be very careful about data and whatnot much more careful than they are being now so i think getting forcing facebook to get rid of instagram and whatsapp is the way you do that yeah the other the other interesting thing well might as well get onto it a little bit i'm sure we'll come back to facebook is apple um, and amazon creating where they have a marketplace yeah um, and the the fear right now the the major gripe that people have with these marketplaces i'll I'll use apple as an example spotify and netflix have a major issue with uh, apple right now because apple in its terms of service on the app store doesn't allow uh, subscriptions within the apps so like subscriptions to use the apps yeah and so I think Spotify at the moment, I'm, I'm not sure about Netflix, but Spotify essentially have to redirect you to the browser, to Spotify.com to go and sign up for Spotify. And then you can come back and sign into your Spotify account. Like you're not allowed to, well, they can do it through the app, I think, but they have to give up 30% of their revenue yeah. to Apple. And so that makes Spotify more expensive if you're an iPhone user. The, and that's fine. Like the, Apple's providing the marketplace, like whatever they can be con- compensated. I don't know if it has to be 30%. That's an argument you can have. But I can see that like, yes, they're providing the platform. You can't, if you want to put your app on a platform, then pay Apple's fee. The problem is Apple are competing directly against Spotify with Apple Music. And that's really the issue is how how can you operate a marketplace when you have your own product when you have your own product in that marketplace 
yeah that makes it extremely hard like how are you how how are you able to sort of resolve that conflict um yeah it makes it extremely difficult yeah and so i think it's i i want to say it was elizabeth warren that suggested that essentially the law looks at at this point looks at banning companies from putting products in a marketplace that they operate and so what you would see is the app store getting spun off okay so the app store no longer belongs to apple yeah and so the app the app store can still run the way it's running but if the app if they wanted to ban subscriptions or they wanted to do whatever that's no longer apple's decision and it's no longer an apple have to play by whatever rules they decide on yeah so i guess then in that case spotify isn't going to be paying that fee anymore because yeah. it's not well, under it's, apple well yeah or well, at least they're not going to be paying it to apple who are yeah, their direct yeah. competitor yeah so because essentially you look at it like spotify so you've got spotify and you've got apple music and so spotify is operating and they get they have to pay an extra there's like there's a 30 percent tax essentially for using spotify and so say it's spotify i think in the u.s it is actually ten dollars a month and so you're paying 10 10 bucks a month if you're on any other phone but you have to pay 13 bucks a month if you're on iphone yeah either like either that or you're paying spot or spotify are taking a, a cut like in their um, revenue. So they still charge you $10 a month overall, but they only get $7 of it. Ah, okay, so they take the hit, yeah. 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 Um, so that's so. the other side of that, though, is Apple are getting revenue that they can pump into their own service and make their service cheaper. Yeah. So if we just, like, obviously this isn't how it works, but if, say three dollars of whatever price you're paying is going into uh, apple's pocket and then apple makes apple music three dollars cheaper per user on a, a, the most basic level and now you've got <laughs> like a giant 60 percent gap in the prices and you'd be mad to go with spotify as a yeah. consumer and especially like when you're, you're sort of getting the same the same product yeah in the end i mean there's a couple of artists which are on one and not the other and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, you're getting the same product and like, like this, this is an issue. And so I, I think the solution is to either spin off the app store or just ban, like make Apple behave when they write the, yeah. the rules of their store. Like there's, there's weird, really, really weird stories that come out about, when Spotify push updates yeah. to Apple and Apple just rejects it. <laughs> That's... They'll just reject you the update. You can't do that. Yeah, but like, <laughs> who's going to stop them? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, like, and this is the problem. This is why you see this market power becoming an, a factor because Spotify can't just say, well, like, screw you guys, we're not going to offer... We're not going to offer Spotify on iPhones anymore because that's a massive, like, yeah. Like they can't do that. Like it's not feasible for them to do that. Um, and so it's 
Yes, it's a, it's a real challenge because on one hand, the consumer has a choice. And I, I, I kind of get this argument and I've heard it from a few people is if you don't want Apple to be dictating what you can access at what price on, on their service, then don't buy an iPhone. Yeah. Like go and, go and buy another phone. But the iPhone is, is, is a, a product and why should you have to choose one product over another product because the way you're going to use that product is going to, is going to be played with by that company. Like, yeah, yeah, I know like what you mean. Kind of see like, because like, why should you have to go and buy a Google phone because Apple are going to be taking a cut of your Netflix and Spotify subscription if you buy the iPhone and yeah. you want to do the exact same task on these. Like, it doesn't, like that's where I, I can see the argument for market power like that they're misusing their market power. Yeah, for sure. But it's it's unlike Facebook. Like it's very, it's not as clear cut how you would break up the company. Because yeah. Facebook, like, I mean, sorry, with Apple, like it's so, um, like it's user experience and the whole thing is one big giant package yeah. that, that Apple tries to keep together. Um, and I, f- I feel like if they were to break up the services part of their or the app store part of their business, it would impact like you'd start to get this path of the app store going down one way that doesn't align with, with Apple's Apple direction, wants. like what Apple yeah. wants. Um, and then does that decrease the value that the consumer gets? Yeah. And I mean, that's the argument. Like, and then are you even benefiting the consumer in that now? Like so yeah yeah so it's a tricky it's a tricky problem like yeah on facebook's on facebook's part like they've got several different businesses that they're operating it's not just it's not just different revenue streams they've got facebook and they've got instagram and they've got whatsapp and they've essentially they've got their facebook ads so you can split facebook into like these four different companies yeah. And those companies can survive and they can make business deals with each other and whatnot. But I, I can see your point in that if you take the App Store away from Apple, like is, is the App Store what Apple are producing? Is that part of their value proposition? Like yeah. you're buying into an ecosystem where you know everything is vested by Apple and yeah. like all this stuff. but. And I mean, if you had a problem with, like in terms of how many segments you could break Apple into, if you had a problem with one aspect of your service or your product and you had to go to multiple different companies now in order to um, fix that up, like now it's now it's inefficient. Yeah. Like you- but then should, should you then ban app, uh, Apple from producing Apple Music? It's it's hard <laughs> banning banning a company from putting its own service on their app store, own product in their own app store. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. I mean, like you think about pages and numbers and all of these things. Yeah, like the the Apple's Apple's answer to Microsoft Office. I mean, like yes, Apple's answer, like it's Apple's answer to Microsoft Office, and I think you can get Microsoft Office apps on iPhones. Okay. Like, I think you can. Yeah. Um, but like at the end of the, like, or iPads is probably a more appropriate um, example. 
for office apps, but at the end of the day, like the Apple Apple productivity suite or whatever you want to call it is bad. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, it's just, <laughs> it's just not good. Yeah. Um, whereas Apple Music, I think, is I've not I've never used it, but I think like the amount of people who use it must be good. Like it must work well. Yeah, I mean, um, in a, in addition to this, like I've also seen the argument that like you have too too little competition, but now, you know, what happens when you have too much uh, competition in terms of across these? Uh, Facebook, I guess, would be another good example in this uh, across yeah. these different platforms, um, because for example, a bit of a thought experiment type thing if we were to have a look at like the in australia we've got the big four banks um how would they have done in the gfc if there were actually multiple smaller banks like what would have been their actions pre-gfc if they were much smaller would they have done much riskier would they have had much riskier behavior um because there were there was more competition that sort of forced them to be more competitive and they engaged in that you know that riskier behavior um in in order to outperform the other banks yeah i see I, your point like obviously they they they're regulated and stuff so in australia like it's it's very hard to sort of do that sort of stuff but um like at what point does do you get sort of too much competition and now it's now it's a bad thing. Well, I think that's an that's an interesting discussion because I think the point that you can see too much competition is when there's a very clear public service yeah that the that the participants are providing. And so in the situation where you've got banks who are providing a public service that is vital well, now you have to regulate how much competition is allowable. What are we, because if we allow too much competition, then the bank, then the participants start to get more risky. And if it goes wrong, then we've got major consequences like the GFC. And, but on the other hand, if you've got too little competition, then you've got, uh, monopolies forming and that also damages the uh, the consumer and in a, it's, it's a space like banking it's vital that you get that right yeah and I think we may be talking about something like with Facebook we we may be getting towards the point where we have to we have to have that same discussion because there's definitely an argument that Facebook's providing a public service. Yeah. You're, you're providing a... I mean, when, when you get to the point where, like, Facebook went down, was it, like, two weeks ago, and you've got people, like, um, motivational speakers who are scrambling to sell their tickets because they were selling through Facebook, and you've <laughs> got influencers who have, like, 24 hours worth of... Uh, earnings wipes out and you've got like all this like s serious implications for other businesses because something went wrong at Facebook and now so are you hamstringing the ability for other people to start their own businesses 
because I mean we both noticed like we've started this podcast and I was, like I've done another podcast and you've got your YouTube channel and how do yeah. you promote that? Yeah, like, exactly. You, you promote it on Facebook and Instagram. Like that, you're not going to yeah. the, the mall anymore and like putting a <laughs> handing out like, flyers. Yeah, like you're not doing that. That's not a thing. And I mean, you you do see it with um, companies like Uber and like um, like there's there's some companies which are going out and handing out flyers and like these little discount cards in public places because they're trying to diversify their marketing and but really people view ads on Facebook and and that a large portion of the population only see ads on Facebook like I'm I'm one of the people I don't I, I get my my ads through Facebook through YouTube and through podcast ads like I don't watch regular TV anymore so I don't see those ads I don't I don't have a car so I'm not driving around listening to the radio so I'm not hearing the ads on the radio so if a business wants to target me they have to go through Facebook and that's just it yeah and so is Facebook providing a public service like I think you can easily make the argument if Channel 7 only started placing ads that aligned with their ideas or that um, were benefiting them in some way or whatever, you would have the ACCC jumping in there. Yeah, and I think Facebook, it's only able to, you know, provide the public service that it can because of its size. Yeah. Like that's what makes it um, a good platform because there's so many people on there. Yeah, and so, so you've got this, you've got this <laughs> troubling situation where you have to let Facebook have massive size, but you also, like, you have to regulate how Facebook is using that. And yeah. so when you've got, you've got things like I don't know if Alex Jones has been banned from Facebook yet. Oh really? But I think, yeah, I'm not sure if he has. I, don't, I know he's been banned from Twitter and he was kicked off Apple Podcasts. I think um, I've, yeah, I think I've seen a few people actually being kicked off uh, Twitter and Facebook recently. Twitter's the big one. For, saying, Twitter, for saying some questionable stuff. Mm, and Twitter is the... And it's Twitter's a weird one because Twitter is not... It's not like Facebook. It's the complete opposite model to Facebook. So Facebook is completely like you go and you add your friends and you create your network and your community and you have private discussions. It's essentially what Facebook's doing now. And you've got your news feed where you see your memes and stuff. But <laughs> like the the messages you're sending on Facebook, I'd, I'd argue that probably 75% of messages sent on Facebook are in group chats or private messages. Yeah. Whereas Twitter is the complete opposite. And everything on Twitter is designed to be public. And so Twitter is facilitating public conversation. And that gets really difficult where like there's been quite a lot of discussion on the internet recently about 
who Twitter bans and why. Um, and But like they, you can also make the argument that, you know, it is their platform, so they're free to do what they want. Like, yeah, you, you have to comply with their terms of service. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, when, at, at what point are you sort of impinging on people's, I mean, in the US, they're right, yeah, for freedom of speech. Yeah. And that, this is the issue because at what point does Twitter become a public forum and a, a place where public discourse happens? Yeah. And like, what point does it cross over the line from being a private social network to a public forum? Yeah. And I think everybody needs equal access. And I think, I think the point where the president of the, U, of the United States is communicating primarily through Twitter. Yeah. I think that's pretty close to the line. I think you can think you can pretty much argue that it's a, yeah. And I mean, you can argue that it's a, a public service now, um, and, and people are getting a lot of their news to that. So you can't, you can't censor it in the same same way that you were doing beforehand. Yeah, and I think what what's interesting though about Twitter, and I think what is saving it at this point from real public outrage, is that if if you get kicked off Twitter. You can still see the conversation that's happening on Twitter. You just can't participate yourself. So you can always go on Twitter and you can see tweets. And you can watch the, the conversation happening. Um, so Alex Jones, he's been kicked off and he, he can still see what's happening. So yeah. there's no argument that, well, now he can't see what his president is saying. And like you, and that's, that's, I think, what's saving Twitter right now. But it's, yeah, it's, it's really hard because when, does, when do we have to tell Twitter to allow everyone to always use it? Yeah, I think there's and a, I think it's coming very close to the line where that, that discussion needs to be had with Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, but I think then the, the other thing, and this probably the, wraps up the whole discussion is who needs to make that that move because these companies are u.s companies but they're providing global services and so does australia force the app store to be spun off in australia i mean i guess i guess they could but would then is our market even large enough would they even bother like yeah. at, at what point, what size population do they go? Oh, nah, let's just not give you the service anymore. Yeah. Let's just, let's just completely cut off that country. Yeah. And it's like, I, I can see like Facebook aren't in China. Yeah. They don't need China to survive. They're just, they're just not in China. And so like, is that like, that's, I guess they're making that decision, but if, Australia were to make a decision and they kind of are like they've got the the controversial um, like anti-encryption laws and Facebook recently made a move to end-to-end encrypt all messages on Facebook yeah and Australia is not included in that new technology on Facebook like this is not end-to-end encrypted on in Australia really so, yeah I didn't know about that yeah, so that's um, that's quite interesting. <laughs> and so, like, are we going to be starting to see 
as different countries start making um, moves on Facebook and these companies, are we going to see like very different products? So are you going to have the Australian iPhone using a different app store? And are you mm-hmm. going to have, um, and I, we like we do sort of see this in say Netflix, where you access different movies and TV shows on Netflix in Australia than you do in other countries because of licensing and stuff. I, I wonder. Just, I wonder who sort of thinks about you know the solutions to this sort of stuff though. I think this. Like, is it? Do you have a bunch yeah. of philosophers that sort of? look over and sort of see the direction that these companies are going and try and yeah, just, so just, just have a good long, basically think about, uh, where we should head. Yeah. Or is I it, got- or is it, or is it politicians that are, you know, influencing, uh, regulations? Yeah. And who, who's paying the politicians? Like, like yeah, and, and exactly. this is this is this is a very serious like that's getting very serious now. If you're talking about if there's a politician running for president of the United States and they are saying their campaign message is we will break up Facebook, does Facebook stop them being able to advertise their campaign? Well, or even they could just sort of pay out someone else to run an opposite to campaign run. to yeah. them. Um, and, and yeah, and basically just yeah. pay them out. It does, yeah. Do you, does Facebook at that point say this person is threatening literally our existence? We don't want any campaign messages or, um, posts about this person or anything on our platform. Do they have the right to do that? And that's really challenging. <laughs> like then that's scary yeah like, money you... money in politics is a massive massive issue i think in the u.s anyway i don't really yeah. know much about of it here in australia because i'm not really up to date with the politics as much as i should be in australia it's more yeah. so the u.s um but it, it's yeah it's it's a massive problem that we've seen with all yeah, this lobbying yeah, that's... that's happening yeah, um, and that's been yeah. around for a long time. And there's, I mean, I would encourage people to go and read some, like there's some very talented journalists out there who have written very long pieces on this. I mean, it's it's been around for a long time. Like back in the like 50s and 60s, there was literally the, the party system in the US was quite a bit stronger than it is now. And you could literally go out like these party managers in different towns could go out and buy votes. And there was literally prices for votes in elections. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. And so like when JFK got elected, there was literally prices for votes for JFK. <laughs> and like Frank Sinatra was going out and brokering votes for him right like this is something that's known now (laughs) that's 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 wild but is facebook becoming big enough that they are able to and we we know that facebook was used to influence several elections over the past few years and it was used to 
influence the Brexit vote and all this stuff. Like, who needs to step in here and how, how do they need to step in here? Yeah. And I mean, if we haven't even touched on the other companies like Amazon, no. Google. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we haven't even spoken about Google. Google's a huge one. Yeah. Like, if you want information, Google feeds you information. And that's why you've got um, the, the CEO of Google in Congress being asked, uh, is Google search biased? Yeah, well, I mean, and it depends because, on how their algorithm is. Like, you don't... Yeah. Like, what are they, what are they pushing in front of your, yeah. your face how when you they, search a certain term? Yeah, and of course, if you are the, a person who is a Republican, it's in Google's interests to put things up that you're going to click on. Yeah, of course it is. Like that's that's their business. And if you're a Democrat, they're going to put stuff in front of you that is Democrat leaning. And it, but is that? Is, do they have a social responsibility to not do that? Like, do they have a social responsibility to just put the most popular results out there? But and do people do people want the most popular results? Yeah, that's exactly. Either. They do they the do they want? Because sometimes, sometimes you do just want to look at the stuff that you're actually interested. So this tailored sort of service that the algorithm provides, like, in some ways, is beneficial as well because you you find it more enjoyable using a service like YouTube, for example, um, if you see the stuff that you want to see. Yeah. As, as opposed to um, some conflicting uh, views. Yeah. And this, this is the problem in that maybe that, that's how you can start to regulate. So you don't regulate their size, but you regulate how they're allowed to operate in these spaces. So you... Like we were talking about, well, don't make a level playing field on the app store and make a level playing field for everybody's views on Facebook and Google and YouTube. Yeah. Like maybe that's the way to do it. But then again, if one country does it, then it doesn't necessarily mean that other countries are doing it. Yeah. And it's, and it's very hard to have a very fine line, uh, in that coding of that algorithm to say, this is how it has to be. Yeah, especially like it, with it's, AI these it's, days. It's always going to be an out, it's always going to be a, a, a gray area because the way, yeah, like you said with the AI, like you have all these learning algorithms that yeah. the programmers themselves, the, the way the learning algorithm works, it becomes far too complicated for the programmer to even see the links between uh, the various functions like yeah it gets so complicated that no one understands it anymore it just works yeah it just it becomes a black box and yeah exactly like it, it's and just a, a simple sort of analogy that is used when describing this this problem this it's called i think it's called the alignment problem yeah where you're you're trying to align the programmer's goals and the ai's goals and so it says that you create a, an, a robot, an artificial intelligence robot to create paperclips. And oh, that one, so yeah. its, its goal is to create paperclips. So it goes and swallows up the earth and just makes paperclips. 
and then build spaceships to get to more planets to yeah. build more paper clips and yeah and it's yeah. like no actually i just wanted you to make me paper clips i don't want you to kill me <laughs> it's like i think that would be an interesting topic topic on its on its own oh yeah um for a for a yeah a whole podcast of its own talking about artificial intelligence oh yeah it's very interesting and like but this is the thing is that how do you regulate an art like artificial intelligence on these platforms especially when you have no idea how to understand it because when there's when there's nobody on this earth that understands how it's working yeah so the only way you can regulate it is to say turn it off yeah and i guess that's why people like elon musk uh almost panicked about you know sort of getting stuff together to prepare for when ai gets here because we it'll hit us so quickly like we won't know how to deal with it yeah because we won't understand any of it yeah and it's it becomes yeah like in financial markets i can see a huge danger for it i mean we can see danger just in normal algorithms like non-intelligent algorithms they present a danger and like we talked about on was it last week's episode or the, the week before where exchanges had to go and build circuit breakers into their yeah um, matching engines so that no, they no way would i want to be day trading with a an ai versing no. an ai like no way no and so it's like like th- this gets on to like comes back to our point is i think the regulation that's going to have to happen is in telling companies what and what they're not allowed to do on their all-powerful platform yeah like so you are allowed to use ai or you're not allowed to use ai or and so like this is it's a real challenge because politicians don't know like there's all the, the funny videos on on youtube where you you've got these politicians questioning mark zuckerberg and they, they just they have, have no idea. Yeah, they have works. no idea what. Yeah, they got no idea. <laughs> yeah, like, like even this. the ads. Like, yes, that's the whole reason why we're here is because of ads. <laughs> yeah, uh. there's the, the, a really good one. I think it was the Google Google CEO, and one of the guys questions him, and he's he holds up his iPhone and he says, "Sir, does Google know where my iPhone is?" Oh my lord. And he says if I go if I went across the room and I, I sat across the room, will Google know that I've done that? And, <laughs> and the CEO says, Well sir, I'd I'd have to have a look at the settings on your phone. Which is funny like but yeah, like the people who are trying to regulate this don't understand it. Yeah. And beyond that, the people building it don't fully understand it. I mean, does that mean like in that case, do we need a separate team or organization that actually um, looks to regulate these companies so you don't have people like um, some not so uh, well-informed politicians sort of dealing with this sort of stuff? Yeah, I think you might. That may be the solution is, and that's happened before where you've had complex issues and governments assemble uh they assemble say like the sec yeah is a a group of essentially lawyers 
who are specialists in understanding the financial markets. And that's so they regulate the financial markets and maybe that's a solution where you've got specialists in AI or in whatever is determined to be the problem and they're able to regulate it. Like, I think it'd be an awesome discussion if kind of like what we have with the banks, with the Royal Commission, we had these very intelligent people sort of diving into a lot of research and grilling these banks. If we had something similar for these larger companies, just to sort of, in a way, sort of touch base, kind of see the direction, how they're sort of planning for, to deal with these certain issues that are going to crop up, like artificial intelligence. Yeah. Because I think a lot of the information that came out of the Banking Royal Commission didn't necessarily come out of the report. Yeah. Specifically, for example, the, the, the mortgage brokers were condemned in the report. Yeah. And, and Hain wanted to take away their commissions and all this stuff. And the public were actually like, hang on, like, no, we don't want mortgage brokers to be taken out of the market. Like, here's all this stuff we heard about the banks misbehaving and yep. the brokers went out in force. And it, it basically looks like right now that those recommendations aren't going to happen. Like, yep. both sides of politics are saying, actually, that's, yeah, that's a bad idea. Yeah. And but so, yeah, just, a, just an inside, inside look on these companies because these yeah. companies, like when we talk about artificial intelligence, these companies like Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, who have the resources available are, are the ones that are going to be developing and achieving artificial intelligence first. Yeah. Because the amount of um, capital that needs to be sort of injected into these um, research programs. Yeah. So I think it's probably probably good. It's getting pretty heavy. Probably yeah. good to wrap it up. Yeah, um, sounds good. I just want to say that if, I would I'd recommend people go and listen to The Verge cast and read The Verge. Um, just search The Verge cast. It's a purple, sort of purpley blue uh, cover art. They do a lot of commentary on this sort of stuff um, because they essentially The Verge's, um, the Verge's idea is to examine the crossover of culture and technology. And so what we've been talking about is exactly what they talk about, but they get experts in this on the podcast to talk about it. And they actually, they did an episode earlier this week about it um, where they had, like they have CEOs of companies come on and talk about these issues. So I definitely recommend go and listen to that. Um, And they they had quite a fun episode because, you know, there's, the big convention South by Southwest that happens every year. Yep. I think in San Francisco, I want to say. Um, and they did a live podcast saying that this is exactly what they spoke about was antitrust and the, the movements of antitrust. And what they did was they went through every, every company. So Amazon, Google, Apple, Facebook, and they, 
they it was live and people were drinking and stuff and so they <laughs> every time they moved on to a new company so they was like okay so what are we going to do about apple and the whole crowd goes break them up <laughs> it, it, it was quite entertaining but a very intelligent conversation and like casey newton and neelai patel and these guys that they're very very highly educated about about these issues and i'd also recommend um on joe rogan's podcast there's been two episodes of jack dorsey who's the ceo of twitter yes and yeah um so that caused a lot of controversy but it's very it's just an interesting conversation to listen to the second one specifically because it was the first time it was just jack and joe and they were having a conversation and the second time it was joe was sort of mediating a conversation between jack dorsey um and the head of i think policy or like something at twitter um so she came on as well and then tim pool who was a journalist in this area came on and joe was just facilitating the conversation and it was very interesting to listen to i'd recommend just um any podcast app just search joe rogan jack dorsey even if you go on youtube they have the the small clips where you can view the most um important parts of the conversation like 10 minute chunks go go and listen to that because that's very very interesting and do you have any um other recommendations myself um I wish I could remember this website that I remember looking at. Um, let me see if I can quickly get it. Uh, nope. <laughs> no, no internet. No, no. Do you know what? No, that's all right. It, um, it basically just talked about um, the the effects of... Uh, it sort of talked about what we were talking about towards the end with artificial intelligence and these sort of larger companies and the need for a, a conversation around uh, these companies so that they can sort of better better prepare and, you know, in terms of how powerful can they get before we actually need to look into breaking them up. But yeah. anyway, we can leave it there, yeah. Okay, cool. So hopefully some people had some interest in the conversations, a bit different to what we have been doing. Um, but I, th- I thought it was an interesting conversation. Yeah. And, um, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear any of the viewers' comments as well yeah um, around this topic too so if yeah, you are so, in a location listening to this be sure to drop a comment and you know we'll join in on the discussion yeah so i think most of the listening of this podcast happens on youtube so yeah definitely drop some uh your opinions in the comments on the youtube video and i'll make sure to check it out and um, engage in the conversation and again if you guys have any questions about anything that you want us to discuss on the podcast um, definitely drop it in the YouTube comments, probably the best place, but anywhere that we'll see it, just, um, drop it, drop your questions in there and we'll get to it. So cool. Thanks guys for um, listening and we'll be back in a week's time with, um, something else for you guys to listen to. Uh, see you then.